TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. NerdWallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation. Find your next credit card or loan for a big purchase and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to the program. Glad you're with us today. Don't forget, every Saturday, noon to one, the lunch hour with Good Life Guy from the Odyssey Good Life Studio. Max is on the board. My guest today is a talented winemaker from now from California, originally from France, Alexander Remy. He is uh, one of the partners at Atlas Wine Company that produces Omen Wines and Orobello. And we're going to talk about the wine production in the winery in and wait, oh, look, I forgot to turn it off again. <laughs> Twice my phone has rang. I'm sorry. Um, you know, Alex, I think that, uh, well, if you go and look at the wines, there's a statement above each section, and I'm looking at Omen right now, and low sulfites, less than 75 parts per million, non-toxic additives, lab-tested, vegan, paleo, keto-friendly, Vines to bottle approach with no residual sugar. And then I thought, you know, we mentioned, both of us mentioned uh, Mega Purple. And so, somebody just asked me, Mega Purple, what, can you explain what that is? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Mega Purple is just, uh, it's made of grapes. Uh, that is a uh, very, very high content of color. So the... The, the grapes that I use to make mega purple is like uh, as a, if, I don't know, if a wine has a, I don't know, from zero to 10 has 10 of colors, mega purple will be an hundred. It's like a very, very dark liquid. And what they do with those grapes, which are low quality grapes, is they don't really ferment it to dry. They leave it at a very high sugar content and they use it to blend into every wine. So you can use a drop of mega purple into a glass of water, and with one drop, your entire glass will look like red wine. Wow. And you have mega purple on the blue, and you have mega purple on the red, depending on the varietals. The challenge of mega purple is that it does take over the taste of the wine and make the wine taste sort of, it's like putting ketchup on filet mignon. <laughs> That's a good analogy. And with a little bit of practice, once you are, someone tells you that this one has or does not have mega purple, you can almost pick it out just from smelling it alone. Yes. I mean, uh, when you're becoming a, you know, a very good wine tester, you will. 
it also leave a different taste uh, a little bit into the wine. Uh, the challenge is, is, if I can back you a little bit, backtrack a little bit, is like economically speaking, if you grow grapes and you increase the yield, meaning that you put more grapes than the vines can handle, you're going to find your product to be weak in color and weak in taste, right? Because you put more fruit into what the vine is capable of doing. So you're not going to get that concentrated wine that comes from the best vineyard. So the big wineries tends to increase the yield, making lower quality wines that looks like more like a rosé or gamay or, you know, Pinot Noir for Cabernet, and then use Mega Purple to make it look more concentrated. So the the use of Mega Purple in itself is not too much of a problem per se. What's the challenge is growing grapes at a, at in an industrial matters in order to make low quality wine that Mega Purples you know just then compensate for it. It's like buying a burger; and it's only 80 percent beef, yeah. and so it's really it's really to me the use of Mega Purple is just making the wine before that not the best quality and that's really what's what's matter there yep and there's so much that can happen in the lab chemistry is a wonderful thing for 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 growing wine uh, for monitoring its uh, youth uh, through the barrel aging process and bottling but it can also be used like you said to to add more acidity to change the oak the oak uh, temperament by adding artificial oak flavors and um, yeah, your wines don't do that, and that that's a, a feather in your cap. Let's talk about sure. the wines from Omen. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I've got the the uh, 2020 cab right here in front of me, but uh, yeah. it, it is probably I, I want to say this right. It's unique, but it's it's what Cabernet tastes like. How's that? Yes. And tell us yes. how, what you did with this wine. It's the 2020. Yeah, and, uh, 20, yeah, so 2020 is one of my best, you know, vintage. We we got very good awards on that wine. Uh, I, call, I call it the Tuesday night Cabernet. So the idea of Omen Cabernet is to reproduce exactly what Cabernet tastes like. And what I mean by that, it's often the bring a wine style that will be, you know, the same style as the Napa Cabernet Sauvignon, because Napa Cabernet Sauvignon is, is well known to be some of the best cab. And what you can find on that wine is basically some grit, but with some fruitiness as well. When I mean by grit, it does have that more like cigar and, you know, a little bit of that uh, more complex backbone flavors, a little bit of those tannins, you know, that grit that will go very well with, you know, a meal. Uh, like a good steak or a good barbecue. And you're going to have that juiciness and fruitiness, and you're still going to have about 30% new French oak in there in order to, you know, bring the wine to another um, another level of complexity. Um, so in order to, you know, provide that quality of wines, uh, my approach is to source vineyards that are very excellent in order to make um, you know, a Napa Valley style of Cabernet, but not coming from Napa Valley. And um, in order to achieve that, I have to source my fruit from two different places. The first one is becoming a very, very well-known region in the southern California. It's called Paso Robles. 
And Paso Robles has been, you know, growing as a region and making their own very, very good wine right now. And if anyone wants to buy a Cabernet that is becoming something like the next Napa Valley, I would highly uh, recommend checking Paso Robles wineries. They're doing a tremendous job. Uh, my take on Paso Robles was I need a little more backbone, a little more tannins. And so I source my other part of the grapes from the Sierra Foodiers. And the Sierra Foodiers is Eldorado County. And Eldorado County is one of the best hidden gem places in California. It's when the oldest vine has been grown through the gold rush. And in general, you're going from 2,000 to 3,000 feet of elevation. If you remember my comment about yield, when you grow grapes that are higher elevation and they are more like high in altitude, you're not going to have the same richness in the soil. So therefore, the vineyards are struggling, struggling to grow much more than they will be on the valley floor, like let's say in Lodi. Um, so the Seraphodiris brings me that very high quality, low yield, highly concentrated grapes that I can blend with that more juicy, flamboyant type of wines from Paso Robles. So the two together makes a, an amazing alternative to a, a Napa Valley wine, which will cost, I mean, you're aware of Napa Valley cabs are, you know, <laughs> not as budget friendly. Not budget friendly. But they're very good. No. But they're very good. And uh, so I call it the Tuesday night a Napa cab. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, but it's made with 100% Cabernet. You don't put anything else in there, uh, grape variety-wise. Uh, uh, I, I, I could. Uh, so I need to have 85% Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, I believe there is a 5% Syrah in there, uh, just because I, I'm, I'm a big lover of Syrah and it just brings a little bit of that uh, interesting things, but oh, okay. nothing substantial, like uh, not 25% of something else. Yeah. Um, uh, the production part and the fermentation is just done uh, pretty much at minimal uh, in in minimal invasion into the natural process, uh, extensive, extensive skin maceration, low pressure pressing. And then, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the, the oak treatment, nine months yeah. and 30% new French oak. And that was one of your sustainability points that, you know, you like many wineries today use French oak, but it's coopered here in our country and saves on shipping costs and more effective. And, yeah. Ah, and to me, oak is like the king. When you can get just beautiful aromatics in this wine, that uh, you know, I think I think you recommended uh, barbecue, you know, ribs or whatever. But to yeah. me, this would be great with anything from a steak or even a simple hamburger. You know, yeah, just a beautiful, like you said, Tuesday night wine. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about Orbello. Are you still I know it was uh, a, a lovely Chardonnay the first time I had it. Uh, and yeah. the 2020 Chardonnay was not available at Jacob Liquor Exchange, my anchor sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yeah. the production of that wine. So Orobero was, so Omen was, is a brand where, you know, is David against Goliath. we trying to make craft wines that are bold, that are like, breaking the rules and really like doing that. Orobello was much more of a, um, you know, approach on, on lifestyle, meaning that it, it was a wine that, um, you know, could be paired with Netflix. 
and uh, you know you could have popcorn and you know I made a little bit like sparkling wine in a can and Orobero was all about that that Dolce Vita the sweet life so my Chardonnay was definitely you know richer rounder has that you know oaky buttery aspect to it um, we we're still making Orobero Chardonnay it's a very successful wine uh, but I have to say and breaking news for you show that we're gonna switch to Omen Chardonnay. Oh, and, really? uh, and yeah, yeah. So you know, people having two different brands, two different type of consumers, will really say, okay, we're gonna make the Omen Chardonnay, and it's it's gonna be awesome. So keep keep it keep for the look of it because it's it's gonna come. I can't wait. Well, I think the Chardonnay was always good, and you've uh, you've experimented with cans, you've experimented with lower calorie wines. What do you, mm-hmm. what, how do you vision that? Is it working or is the consumer enthusiasm there? Uh, I mean, yes. Uh, the consumers love those wines. The, the challenge there is, is much more technical by the fact that it's very complicated to distribute or have the stores commit to those kind of products. So, you know, if you present a Cabernet or Chardonnay in a 750 milliliter bar, people are right on like no prime. And then you bring the wine in a can or the lower calorie wine. Suddenly, you have to educate the stores, and the stores have to educate the consumers. So when I do sell those products directly to consumers or I go to a wine festival or anything like that, it's extremely popular. The challenge is the distributors on the stores are not as strongly behind those kinds of products or strongly behind new trends. They attempt to wait for the trends to be settled. And so it becomes more challenging to sell. That doesn't say that the consumer doesn't like it. It's just we have so many people to convince between the winery and the consumer. And sometimes that can delay the, you know, the, the exposure of that product. So, you know, we decided that for right now it's better to, I mean, during 2020, uh, there were no can available anymore, uh, like the, the just the, the aluminum can. Yeah. And it's also very, very challenging to bottle correctly, to can correctly, because most of them are for beer. They're not made for wine. So it's, it's just a very technical product to make, and it took a lot of convincing, and we decided to take a little break until it's, it's more established. Well, and I, you summed it up perfectly from your perspective and from my perspective. As a consumer, I tasted some canned wines in the very early stages of that, and there was a problem with uh, oxidation, uh, getting yeah. getting the can sealed, and with may- maybe nothing but leaving some air in there. And uh, I don't know; it, it didn't catch me. And I like to pull a cork. And yeah, me you too. know, <laughs> I, I have had some sparkling can- wines in a can that held up because of the process the there, but, uh, yeah. nah. I'm, yeah. I'm, the, uh, go ahead. So the, the, the sulfites are reacting with the aluminum and that's why the get, the cans get oxidized is because you cannot reuse any sulfites to protect your wine. So we use low sulfites, but for wine, the can is no sulfites. Yeah. So, um, the way to make wine in a can is you have to start with the, the container and not the opposite. You cannot make wine and think that it will go well in a can. It's a much more technical process. Um, so that's why so many wine in the cans were not that good is because 
it was meant to be in Barons, and it went into a camp. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what. We need to take one more break. When we come back, I, I, I just want to pick your brain about 2023. The vintage seems yeah. to be getting such great press, and and like you touched on, California, the whole West Coast has had to put up with horrendous drought and then horrendous flooding. The fires goes without saying and how that impacted several vintages. And as I'm also fond of saying, winemakers are faced at every turn in the process with multiple ways they can make mistakes or Mother Nature can help them make mistakes or or give them problems to deal with. And, uh, but 2023 looks like it's coming back. So folks stay with us quick break. We'll come back and talk to Alex Remy uh, about the 2023 vintage and why you can start looking at, I don't recommend buying futures, but if you're of a mind to do that, it might be a good uh, vintage to do so, but it won't be long. You'll be seeing 2023 uh, white wines on the shelf at Jacob liquor exchange. And, uh, Apparently, it's going to be really fun. We'll tell you more in just a minute. Don't go away. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Nerd. Today's episode is sponsored by Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast. Get your head in the financial game with smart investing and budgeting tips straight from the nerds. Nerd Wallet's experts will set future you up for success with dependable, fact-based insights. No financial misinformation allowed. Learn how to save on your summer vacation, find your next credit card, or loan for a big purchase, and invest in your next index fund. Make smarter decisions in 2024. Follow Nerd Wallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. <laughs> 